You are listening to The Industry Edit. Hello and welcome to episode number one of The Industry Edit, hosted by myself, Ezreen Benison. The Industry Edit is a fortnightly podcast that aims to talk to entrepreneurs, creators, industry professionals who fall under the umbrella of diversity. We'll discuss everything from issues to trends and exciting projects, hopefully making for a really interesting and informative listen. So with no further ado, I'm so thrilled to introduce our first guest this week. We have Vanessa Peterson from Three of Cup Press. And we also have Lizzie Huxley-Jones. Am I saying that right? Yeah, that's yeah? right. <laughs> from Three of Cups Press also. So for those of you that may be unaware, Three of Cups Press is an independent micro-publisher based in London. This relatively new publishing company provides a voice for those who are unheard and marginalised and neglected by mainstream media. Three of Cups Press aim to build a more inclusive and diverse publishing industry, not only in terms of the work that is produced and published, but also those behind the scenes and running the company. Three of Cups Press have very excitingly just released their newest title on anxiety. On Anxiety is an anthology depicting anxiety in various guises. So congratulations, guys, on your release. And I'm so thrilled to have you here on the industry edit. Thank you. you. It's a pleasure to be here. Definitely. So the first question I would kind of like to pose to you guys is how was it for you as a newly formed publishing company to produce this anthology? Exciting and stressful, (laughs) but like mostly exciting, like... The fun of it definitely overrode the stress. Although right now I'm definitely living in the the stress zone. Yeah. But yeah, it was amazing. Not just going out there and doing it, but also the response we've had has been really exciting. Um, Not just from uh, the traditional publishing press like the bookseller and book brunch, but also just the wider book community, people on Twitter. Um, It's, yeah... It's wild. (laughs) I mean, for me, this is the first time I've really been involved in publishing. And the sense of community I felt has been pretty incredible. You know, you realize that there are so many people with the same aims and same ideals and they want to support you as well. And I think so, I, you know, producing and getting to know all these people has been, for me, really incredible. Okay, I'm really interested as well to know how creating this anthology but particularly on anxiety came about and why an anthology instead of like I don't know like the traditional novel per se um I guess I mean okay I'm going to speak on my own behalf (laughs) I don't want to speak for anyone else um I think mental health and anxiety um you know in a broader guise is an area which deserves more attention and you realize just talking to people in conversation that so many people are struggling with these issues. Um, And I think the anthology format works really well because you get so many different perspectives. Um, You realise that it doesn't discriminate on race, on gender, on age. You know, um, anxiety is something that is present in so many of our lives. And what better way than to support underrepresented voices in um, trying to remove the stigma of anxiety. Um, I think that's really key. Definitely. Um, I think a lot of it came from Claire as well, our founder. So um, the way most of us got into this is because Claire had this idea of starting a little publisher because she was super, she works in publishing and she was really frustrated with the very white, able-bodied, cis narrative that we get. Um, I've heard Charmaine Lovegrove of Dialogue Books refer to it as a a monoculture um, or or the single narrative, like Chimamanda and Adichie talks a lot about. Um, And she and I went for a walk in St. James's Park, I think, with my dog. And she was like, I think I'm thinking of doing this and I'm thinking the first book should be on anxiety. what do you think and I was like sure why not and then it was really it happened so quickly within I think a month or two of those initial conversations we all had a big Skype and then the Kickstarter was launched and it was a thing 
And I think we've all been not just excited and stressed, but also <laughs> like excited that we we've kind of broken the rules. Yeah. That's how I feel. Like I'm not from a publishing background either. And um, I really feel like we've just sort of thrown out the rule book when it comes to your traditional agent publisher yep. um, structure and gone, well, actually, that doesn't need to exist. Let's do it differently. And that's really cool. It feels a bit naughty. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it, because I know uh, a lot of people around me do suffer with anxiety, but whenever you talk about anxiety, it automatically gets an eye roll or a shutdown mm-hmm. because a lot more people are talking about it. And I think as well with social media, it's become a platform that everyone can share how they f- they are feeling. And I don't think we had that back in the day, but um, I know a lot of people are just eye rolling. And with your anthology, I... I really enjoyed it in the sense that it made an anxiety seem universal, which it is. And there are moments that I do feel anxious, but I wouldn't necessarily say that I could I have an anxiety disorder because I I haven't been diagnosed. But I will say that it was very comforting for me to read it and know that other people do go through this as well. Mm. So I think there's no kind of age limit on who can read this or who should be reading this because a lot of people are going through it and um i know the author matt haig he Mm. um he did a tweet i i think it was last week where he spoke about anxiety and i can just read the quote um he said anxiety isn't a weakness living with anxiety turning up and doing stuff with anxiety takes a strength most will never know anxiety is simply an extra and we pass it by surviving what do you guys think about that i think i wholeheartedly agree i think anxiety is something that so many of us live with yeah and we are still required to go to work we still have to hold relationships we have to pay the bills and it isn't a weakness by any means and so many people since I've started talking about this since I've started started talking about my own anxiety which is health related career related you know there's so many different strands of it you realize that it is a very universal condition and Therefore, it's comforting and maybe also a real privilege, personally, for me to be able to support authors and writers and artists to to talk about those things. And if one person reads this anthology and thinks, wow, okay, I do relate to these things. Yeah. And also here are 25 other people who feel (laughs) exactly the same. (laughs) Yeah. You know, then I feel like we've done our job properly. Um, I think definitely that's how I see it. We had a really wonderful response, actually, from uh, a young adult blogger who I know because my other hat is sort of doing blogging and turning mm. up at young adult events because that's my future aim to be a young adult writer as well. Yeah. And um, I sent her a proof copy of it and she had this intense emotional reaction, particularly to Alice Slater's piece, The Alligator, mm. and the section where Alice talks about how her anxiety, well, not Alice, that Alice's character, because it's short fiction, talks about the character shrinking herself, her networks, as people got less interested in being around her because she was anxious, yeah. as she was unable to go to more than just one shop. And she, we had a great response from her saying how much it meant to her. And when I saw her series of tweets, I was like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm really happy. Like yeah. this has meant something to someone. And I I I love that piece. Uh I think as editors we all have like real loves for the pieces uh, that we commissioned ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that, this is definitely true. Yeah. <laughs> like I love all I love all the babies. Yep. But I'm very proud of my particular babies. <laughs> and me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um and I think one of the wonderful things about anxiety on anxiety itself is we never set out to say what type of anxiety people should write about yeah and 
it was like we gave them the word and they could then build from there. Mm. And so what it's meant is we have anxiety represented in a in a medicalized format, anxiety disorder, but also anxiety about dating, anxiety about words, anxiety about horoscopes, you know, yeah. we lots of different types of worry. I think one of the misnomers that uh, gets bandied around when people hear the word anxiety is they think of it as worry but actually I think anxiety is fear and um, it's the fear of the unknown or the fear of a known that could come and produce itself in a way that you didn't expect Um, and I think everyone can relate to fear (laughs) you know it's the most primal of our emotions and reactions and I think that that's why this is a very powerful topic to start with yeah so i know you had as you mentioned a lot of contributors 25 mm. um i have a f- few that i really liked um i liked claire gamble's normal mm. service will resume shortly and it's in a way it's i hate the term simplistic but it's very quite minimal right but yeah. it speaks volumes i really i don't know i just had a little flick through of the ebook version and that that was one that really stuck with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also liked Dr. Dr. Rachel Coert's yeah. essay mm-hmm. on redefining anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I would say if anyone who is thinking about reading it, I would say read this one first mm-hmm. um, because it straight away clears up any myths or preconceptions about mm-hmm. anxiety. And it's a good one to kind of start with if you just want to understand and be more empathetic to someone else's situation. Mm, Definitely. I think that makes sense. I think often um, definitions of anxiety are quite blurry. Um, So having that kind of medical perspective, I think also, you know, there are concrete things that you can read and understand from that. And yeah, I think if you are unsure of what anxiety is or the different forms of anxiety, yeah. that would be a good one to start with. Yeah. If you want a little like sneak peek into how we created the book, we actually had a lot of conversations about whether Rachel's piece should come first okay. because it sets the tone. But also yeah. we wanted to make it clear that it isn't a self-help book. So yeah. that's why she actually appears later in the book. So you might have been presented with these different types of anxiety yeah. and then you can reflect upon the experiences that you've had. Rachel herself is ridiculously cool. She is as <laughs> yeah. uh, a research scientist who her PhD and lots of the research she was working on before was all on um, the psychology of uh, people who play video games. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. She's great. I love her. <laughs> Um, yeah. Um, was it an easy and crucial decision to pay those who contributed on anxiety? Very easy to pay. Yeah. We wanted to pay them more. Oh yes. And that's the trouble. Um, we have a we had a set fee that everyone got paid, no matter yeah. what their experience were, and that's what we believe is really important. That everyone, mm. no one should work unpaid, especially in this industry. Yeah. Uh, and I know there Ugh. are probably plenty of people listening to this who are worried about going into unpaid internships yeah. or with um, Akiho Skills talking about um, the. Um, campaign to have wage transparency yeah because so many of the jobs you look at it'll be like oh it's an assistant job it doesn't say how much it is yeah and as someone who grew up in a working class background I see that and I see that as oh if the price isn't there it isn't for you um so I think the struggle we had was just we want to be able to (laughs) pay people more I think yeah. and we we prioritize them over paying ourselves I <laughs> yes think, this is very true yeah, yeah this is true. <laughs> we I think so far we've paid ourselves a third of what our contributors have been paid oh, wow. a very very small amount yeah. so we're all doing this for love at the moment. <laughs> yeah. and our priority is that the authors get paid and yeah. at some point in the future maybe we'll learn enough so that we can pay ourselves like a little bit <laughs> <laughs> but right now <laughs> so buy our book yes (laughs) so maybe we can pay ourselves um i I mean i see i i agree 100 percent um i work in an industry which unfortunately is built 
on unpaid labour in the form yeah. of volunteering. You know, we have so many positions in museums and art galleries which require you to somehow have enough money yeah. to live in London, to pay your £750 a month rent, <laughs> and somehow get to work and eat and dress yeah. presentably for nothing. Yeah. Um, so I was really lucky in the sense that I came into what I was doing through um, training schemes, people wanting me to be part of what was going on. And you realise, as a black woman, you look at the creative industries and it's not reflective of the London that I know, it's not yeah. reflective of the UK that I know. And so much of that is about money barriers and is about the fact that so many people just cannot afford to sustain living here Yeah, if they don't get paid. So I think mm -hmm. it was always something that you know, was really key to us all as a team, that yeah. if we are going to support marginalised authors and uh, artists in whatever form, they need to be paid. It's really simple and it really does make me very angry. Yeah, <laughs> me too. Mm -hmm. You know, seeing so many projects where they advertise and yeah. they say, hey, we want diverse, inclusive voices. We want to make sure this is reflective. And you ask about the fee and they say, oh, we don't have money to pay you but you get exposure because no one can pay bills yeah. on exposure yeah. um, so it was it was maybe the easiest decision out yeah. of everything okay because yeah. I know I've done so many internships or well not that many but there are a lot of internships out there that want to get young people into the workplace but like you said they don't offer to pay yeah. or they will cover expenses and travel which out of any, anything is yeah bonus but like you said you have to have food you have mm -hmm. to pay bills and um, I'm in a fortunate position to live in London and still under my parents roof but um, there's so many of my friends who want to get into publishing and it's all in London so they've got to travel from Oxford into London and they'll have their expenses paid but then it'll be a cap at 20 pounds a week yeah. so it it's quite ridiculous that you want to offer you know to pay and get these people in but then you know there's a cap so I think the publishing industry is really short of funds but I think if you guys can do it then so can so many other exactly I was at a really interesting talk on Monday that I was just telling Vanessa about I was furiously live tweeting it because it was um all about inclusivity exactly what we're talking about yeah the panel was amazing so it was Charmaine Lovegrove of Dialogue Books uh Natalie Jameson who works in commercial non-fiction at Harper Collins I think yeah. um Joy Francis of Words of Colour Chris McCudden who um, works in PR and publicity. He's a guy on Twitter who's forever tweeting data and taking down all these misnomers in publishing that we have. And Julia Kingsford was the chair. And one of the things they were talking about is the fact that um, in some of them have been in this industry for 20 years and the problem is we have these conversations but publishers aren't actually putting the money where their mouth is. Yeah. And people will say, oh yeah, we want this, we want this, but they're not doing that. You know, why... As they said, why is someone who can go on an entry-level job go work at someone like Goldman Sachs and earn a bunch of money? Yeah. Why would they come into publishing at a 20 grand salary? Like, why would you do that? It's yeah. it's not going to attract anyone. Um, it, was, it was... I recommend if anyone listening wants to look for the tweets from that, the hashtag is bite the book, and it was from um, January the 19th, 20th. I can't do dates, <laughs> but um, I implore you to have a look because th they talked about some really fascinating things like, um, for instance, so one of the misnomers I hear a lot, particularly around anthologies, and which is why mm -hmm. it was so exciting that we've had a great response with this, is that, you know, anthologies don't sell, short fictions don't sell, mm. people from non-white backgrounds don't sell. And that's actually not true. Um, Chris McCardin went into the data and he's found that of the 20 million readers in the UK, 12 million said that they would be willing to buy, like not just willing, but actively interested yeah. in reading about people from other backgrounds, reading books from diverse backgrounds, reading books from people of different opinions. And so it's like that 
that's 12 million people. <laughs> that's yeah. an enormous amount. And so if anyone says to you, there's no there's no one who will buy this or no one will want to read it, uh-uh, it's a lie. Yeah. It's The data is there. <laughs> Um, I wanted to say that I will put um, your links to the website and your perhaps Kickstarter page mm. uh, in the show notes. But um, how has crowdfunding enabled you as a publishing company? Um, has it kind of helped you develop and progress? Um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, the fact is, as we mentioned, we aren't really paying ourselves that much. Yeah. And we had this idea and Claire came up with this idea and built this team. And what we realised straight away was that if we want to make this fair, if we want to do as we say, we need to be able to pay. And crowdfunding was a really interesting platform. I'd never used it before personally in my professional life, personal life. But the response from strangers was Mm. absolutely ridiculous. We had people that, you know, we would kind of whatsapp each other and be like do you do you know who this person is like no none of us knew and it really was a way to reach people outside of our networks as well I think that's really key because often in publishing in art it can feel like you're talking to the same people which is great in one way of course because that means there are you know a bunch of people that really passionately care but crowdfunding I think has the capacity to allow you to reach new audiences and I think that's just as important you know if someone really doesn't read that much doesn't really care but sees something on Twitter or via Kickstarter and thinks oh well maybe there's something for me in this Mm -hmm. then I think it works I think it's a really great platform used in the right way yeah on a practical level we had no money (laughs) (laughs) I glossed over yeah I mean like (sighs) let's be real because I I want people listening to this to maybe say oh like maybe I could do a a press because you probably could because we had no money we had a lot of hopes and dreams and we were like (laughs) how can we do this and so Kickstarter was the way forward Claire's the one with the money brain so she did all the it's it's really really complicated to do the finances for Kickstarter because you you have to come up with a, a number that you're going to reach but you have to work out how many copies that would be if that's x many copies how much okay. money are we going to make from that how much can go there super complicated yeah. not my forte <laughs> um but as Vanessa said the people who came up because in Kickstarter you can see everyone who's funded it mm. and we'd be like does anyone know my personal favourite is um, Malcolm the the Scottish I MSP <laughs> I love Malcolm none of us have any <laughs> connections to him but he, he was tweeting about us yesterday saying how excited he is for his copy oh. and I just packed it up and I, ne- I do you know what? I nearly put a little note in it to say thank you so much for like <laughs> finding us and yeah. supporting us because he he gave us quite a, a good donation and yeah. was that I just want a copy of the book I just want to talk about you I just want mm. this to happen and he's no one he we don't know him don't know <laughs> he's a Scottish MS, MSP if <laughs> but, you're listening Malcolm hi we, hi, we Malcolm. really really, really appreciate <laughs> your very generous support yeah. honestly I mean I think that was one of those things where we were like who's Malcolm? Do we know Malcolm? We don't know Malcolm. But that's it. Kickstarter and crowdfunding in general has the capacity to reach people all over the world, you know, and and that's the beauty of it. Mm. It seems like many people who you wouldn't think would take an interest have an interest and put their money into the Kickstarter page, Mm. which I think is really interesting that it can literally be anyone who is donating and helping another cause which I think is amazing but I wanted to ask you when did you realize there was inequality in the publishing industry which might not be a hard question (laughs) immediately (laughs) straight away it's you know actually I'm gonna keep mentioning things that Charmaine Lovegrove and all the others said at this by the book event because I think it's so relevant to this but Charmaine was saying that at the last London book fair of the 2,000 people in acquisitions, she was the only black woman and there was no one there in a wheelchair. Oh, wow. And it's so weird that you go to publishing events. I've I've been to a couple when I was a bookseller because occasionally I'd get invited to speak or they'd invite me along so that there was just a, I don't know, a token bookseller there. It's always <laughs> good to have someone who sells the book. Um, 
And it would be a sea of white people. And as a white person myself, like, and I'm from somewhere who is very white, I was like, this is weird. Like, Mm. this is not what London looks like. And actually, publishing is one of the worst in terms of racial diversity and even class in out of all the creative industries. It's very dominated by white middle class people. It's... um, and it's because of the access barriers and the pay yeah. barriers like we talked before. That's awful. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think so many of these creative industries rely on networks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay? Like, I always try and be transparent about these things. I think it relies on knowing the right people. And I think that really does Definitely. cut a lot of people out of being involved in things that they really should be. Mm. Um, What was really kind of fascinating for me was looking through the submissions that we got and seeing so many names that I had never heard of before. Realising there's a vast pool of resources, almost infinite if you want to tap into them. Um, But someone on Twitter mentioned, and I can't, I'd love to credit them and I can't think of their, their username to hand, but they mentioned something about if you are someone without loud friends, without yeah. the right friends, publishing can be very lonely. And yeah. mm. I think our role, hopefully, is by having people who work in different organisations, even different sectors, yeah. is to try and at least say, look, maybe we can do things differently. Maybe this doesn't have to be an old boys club anymore because, mm. you know, by rights, I shouldn't really be here, you know? like. Yeah. Uh, it, when I look at all the, the the two industries that I work in, I rarely see women, men, non-binary people who look like me. Yeah. Um, and that can be lonely, but it also kind of gives you the f- feel to think, well, I know I'm not on my own because I'm part of so many networks where people are banging on the door. I think it was Michaela Cole who said, we're all here, mm-hmm. but you have to let us in. Yeah. And it, 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 I think what I'm realising is that it has to start maybe from smaller presses. Yeah. has to start from people who are maybe more fearless and want mm. to throw away the rule book, as Lizzie said, and, and, and try and show the big publishers that it is so easy if you want to do it. And yeah. that's what frustrates me, that people say, oh, well, the talent isn't there. And I think that's definitely wrong. <laughs> yeah. I know that for a fact. <laughs> it's wrong. It is yeah. I don't want to say it, but I will. I think it's laziness. And it is I lazy. think yeah. it is a sense of why don't we just keep on doing the same thing because yeah. we know it sells. Why don't we try and be the most kind of risk averse we can be? Because yeah. that's what upsets me. Being different in any kind of way is a risk, apparently. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be. Um, hopefully we can do something about that. (laughs) I hope so. Yeah, because the pipeline into publishing now is, I mean, when you look at it, most of the agents are white. Most of the people in the acquisitions room are white. And they they stay safe. They play safe. Mm. They don't like to take risks on stuff. You know, they're like, oh, well, this book is like something else we sold. So let's do that. You know, can you make sure that you're uh, writing about something in a very yeah. stereotypical manner? Because mm-hmm. obviously, even within sexuality, race, etc., there is no sense of difference. Yeah. I mean, it's very frustrating. You know that you hear a lot often people saying, "Oh, well, I wanted to do X, Y, and Z, but it didn't fit into mm. someone's idea of what it should be," or. I was invited to a group show or a group event about diversity, but I'm not asked to come to um, a panel discussion about art. You know, it's being put into very narrow boxes. When you do get your foot in the door, you suddenly have to be someone who encompasses all the things that other people want you to be. And Mm -hmm. I think people are often scared of that too. And they're wary. They don't want to kind of sell their um, anxieties and fears on a daily basis to get ahead. And, And that's... It shouldn't be that way anyway. I think it's really interesting that you said that because for me, I obviously in the in my publishing class, it's very female dominated mm-hmm. um, and there's not that much diversity, racial diversity in there as well. Um, but I never, I wouldn't say I was that aware about the 
lack of diversity within the publishing industry. I I walked into my class and I thought, okay, this is a bit odd, but it kind of just went over my head until I did a presentation about diversity within the publishing industry. And I came across stories of authors who were told that their work wasn't stereotypically um, Indian enough, I think that example was. And so many people just want to get in there but aren't paid the same as someone who is um, white and middle class because they're put in through network or someone they they know. And for me, that was really eye-opening and that's kind of a reason why I started this podcast because I didn't know it so I'm assuming not many people know it I'm sure they see it but it just goes over their head so with this it was it became a channel that people can learn about the inequality in Mm. in creative industries and yeah it was just so shocking to realize that someone can come with their work but if it doesn't seem like it could sell then you're automatically disregarded as yeah and that's the big problem with the the corporate commercial houses is that that's really how they're thinking and as we say playing it safe and that's why definite shout out to the small presses like Jacaranda Press, Cassava Republic, mm-hmm. Influx Press, Silver Press. Mm-hmm. Um, Keep going. We, like <laughs> there there are some amazing presses out there mm-hmm. producing the most high quality books. I mean Ellie Williams who's in our book, her first book a trip was on so many best of lists last year and I'm pretty sure it's gone into its 20th printing mm. in wow. one year like, oh, and, that, and that's a book that I don't think would have been picked up by a commercial they wouldn't have wanted to take the risk on it um but you know she's white so that's even like mm. it's an easier standard in one way but Cassava and Jacaranda and you know like the the good lit agency all yeah. these people who are really fighting and I think it's really important as a consumer yeah. to put your money where your mouth is as well it's something I'm trying to be more conscious of is buying from them buying yeah. from indie mm-hmm. bookstores that have shelves that look like real life <laughs> yes. um, because when you go to a bookstore and it's just a, a sea of white faces it's like well this is what real life yeah. looks like yeah I, I just like to uh, give a shout out to my uh <laughs> Neighbours, Burley Fisher, Um, mainly because they have changed the way that I look at literature. Um, Hi, Sam. (laughs) Um, But on an honest note, they um, and I think a lot of independent bookshops Mm. are part of this system, too. They see what people buy. They know what the world is like in the real world. They know they know and they respond accordingly. And I think having that support network as i said you know it does feel like it's becoming like a family of sorts trying to do things differently um and you realize very quickly that a lot of the traditional bookshops are really missing out on Mm -hmm. this kind of new wave of independent publishing they really should take notice of their smaller partners and how they're doing things because I think they are supporting the presses to be able to do more and reach more people. Yeah. So I wanted to know what you guys have planned next. <laughs> What's in the works? I know you you have just released uh, On Anxiety, but I mean, there's you guys seem quite busy, so I'm I'm sure that there's something <laughs> we that never you're doing. sleep. No, we don't <laughs> sleep anymore. Well, once I've finished posting out the next 250 copies of On Anxiety, um, we will have another Kickstarter soon Yay. because our second book in our anthology series on bodies, uh, it's actually already curated. So we've got everyone all lined up, but I don't want to announce it yet because okay. that's going to come out with the Kickstarter. Yeah. But again, we've got a ridiculous lineup like yeah. <laughs> it's it's amazing yeah. and the quality of all the submissions once again was so high yeah so this one's on bodies so we gave them body and they ran with it in lots of different ways um we've got poetry we've got art we've got fiction short fiction again very much in the same zone anxiety yeah um 
and uh, it's it's brilliant. I set up our Trello board the other day and was looking at all the different titles we have in that book and it's going to be another amazing book. Um, so that's the one we can talk about. Now. Yes. Um, I guess we should say that we'll be having a party soon. <gasps> yes! TBC. Um, but yeah, we. I, I think part of publishing this anthology is tapping into that community and what better way to celebrate that than to have our community with us. <laughs> yeah. um, so I think that's going to be really great yeah. and, and just nice to put faces to names, you yeah. know, because for me, I've been seeing a lot of people who have been supporting us, retweeting us, and I think that will be the ultimate way to say thank you for yeah. being being our partners, essentially. That's how I see it. I mean, yeah. there are, we are editing and chopping away and trying to figure out what next, but we can't do this without everyone else. So, yeah, yeah I think that's going to be a really lovely evening. I shall be attending. Yes! <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and I think we have... So our aim was to have uh, the series of anthologies as sort of our bread and butter. It's our beginning because yeah. we want to showcase all those voices and also make you know make ourselves known as people who make things and in order to do further stuff in the future we we need to get some more funding from outside bodies so yeah. shout out if you are a rich person <laughs> how wanna, many rich people do we know want to share want to give us a couple of money, <laughs> bit of money? let me just look in my phone <laughs> I'm joking, I'm um joking. but the next anthologies that we had planned would be on relationships and on activism and we're thinking about on stories because okay. we keep getting really cool short fiction submissions that maybe didn't quite fit in because part of the difficult things with the anthologies is everything you get is super high quality but mm. it's about um the process is us sitting around in a table in the pan quotidian trying to like work out which ones complement but don't contradict and which sit aside together well or which suit the overall tone tone why did i say that so weirdly <laughs> tone <laughs> um so maybe from those stories that didn't get put in we'd like to do something else but we have a lot of ideas we're trying to pace ourselves because i think that's the hardest thing i know 404 inc talked about that on twitter this year they did an end of year blog post i think saying how they found it really hard because you want to do everything yeah. and you want to do it now. But that is really, really hard. And small presses work infinitely quicker than commercial publishing. You know, if you get your book deal, say, in 2015, your book will maybe be coming out now. Yeah. Um, but for us, it was six months. So <laughs> we work a lot quicker, but also that means it's tempting to do more and more yeah <laughs> so um people have already started asking when submissions for on relationships and on activism will be open and we're like let's wait until this one has gone and gone into the world and become its own little beautiful swan baby and then we'll like <laughs> some make beautiful a imagery there. yeah you. in my mind it's just like <laughs> flying away from us into the, like the sunset and we're like it's going to university yeah <laughs> So just to, I wanted to include a little quirky section. I haven't actually found a name for it, but Ooh. it's to discuss anything that we find inspiring or that inspires us creatively. So it can be literally anything. So what you did in the week that was inspiring or <laughs> just anything uh, creative. Creative. Okay, so... If it helps, it, I could go first. You go yeah, first. You go, okay. <laughs> so, um, I my older sister is really into classical music, and she's currently. Oh, I don't know if I should say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Scratch that. Yeah. But she uh, got me tickets to see uh, the London Symphony Orchestra perform oh. at the Barbican, which was so amazing. And it's, I wouldn't say classical music is my genre. I know she really loves it, but I wouldn't say it's for me. But when I sat there and the whole atmosphere and I was so immersed in the music. And for me, that just made me take a, 
a moment and look at other channels that I wouldn't necessarily mm. want to go into. So I've started reading a lot more poetry. Mm. Um, so that's what I found creative mm. cool. or creatively inspiring. That's yeah. Sense. Classical music, I think, if you hear it live, is so different. Yes. Because I always have it on when I'm writing or whatever, yeah. like just a Spotify playlist. So I literally could not tell you the title of any of them. <laughs> but I remember yeah. when I was at uni uh, in Liverpool, I used to get cheap tickets to the Philharmonic and I went mm. and saw Gustav Holst's The Planets. <gasps> and Damn. that was an experience. I can yeah. Like, it's one of the late planets when the voices come in from the side and mm. there was a... They had a choir in the it, hidden, and it was so eerie and cool. And oh my god, that stayed with me for yeah. so long. So have a look if you ever see a performance of that. Definitely, I will, and I will let you know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You'll have emotions. You seem quite passionate about it, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh, man, you bring back memories. I used to play the flute, and mm. one of the really cool things I did was play at the Bridgewater Hall in Manchester. Mm, that's cool. And the sound that comes back at you is so incredible. Mm. Yeah. And I live with someone, hi, who plays <laughs> Schubert all the time. <laughs> and while it's very therapeutic and, you know, it's it's lovely to listen to, you know, put that into your live setting and it's mm. beyond beautiful. Yeah. Um, in terms of what's inspiring me creatively right now, um, I mean, I'm really lucky to work where I do. Um, I work at the V&A, so often in my lunch breaks, I'll go on a walk, and you know, we've got seven miles of galleries, so you know, you're never short of things to do, but I like to go to the Europe galleries. In the Europe galleries, there is a small bust of um, a young black boy, and um, he was a servant to a wealthy trader in, in, in Belgium. And it's really hidden away, you know, it's in a, such a strange position. Um, you really have to be looking for it to find it. Um, and I go, I go to that room often. I, I, I really like to think about um, art and race in so many different ways. And I think that really plays into how I saw this anthology. Um, I'm really inspired by people who use the word and image. Yeah. Um, there are people like Harry May Weems, Lorna Simpson. They take their inspiration from literature and find a visual way to interpret it. And I guess I'm bouncing backwards. I think yeah. about things visually and I try and think, okay, how does that fit into the written word? Um, and what was really great when Claire approached me to join this project was that she really wanted me to pull into my art knowledge and figure mm. out ways of um, kind of collecting that into an you know, anthology th format so you know I think for upcoming um, projects I'd really like to think more about that and I've had several people email me and say okay I, I'm not a very good writer but maybe I'd like to collaborate with a writer, I'm yeah. a photographer or I'm an artist and I'm thinking about the ways that that could blossom over time mm. so I think they're the things that are inspiring me right now Yeah, I think for me it's pretty much all those people I mentioned at that Bite the Book event and all the small publishers. Um, one I haven't mentioned actually is Knights Of, who are an inclusive children's publisher. Um, and just being around all these other people with these really good intentions yeah. is inspiring. Um, especially because I know it's kind of been done before and it maybe didn't stay it didn't last because we got complacent as especially as an industry um and people were like well we've done it now so we're fixed and it's like no 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 we've, <laughs> we've got loads to do yet um and I'm inspired by seeing what they're doing and their passion and their love for voices and stories and it's really an inspiring time and, you know, there was one um, one really wonderful moment, actually, that keeps sticking in my mind. I was at the talk at the London Review bookshop where it was Sarah Shin of Silver Press speaking with Rene Edo Lodge of why I'm no longer speaking yeah. to white people about race. We were talking about Audre Lorde, the Audre Lorde collection that Silver Press has just re-released, which is a blinder. Um, and there was a lady there 
who used to run the press that had the original rights in the UK for her work back in the 80s or 70s. And we didn't know that anyone had had Audre Lorde's rights in the UK. Um, And it was really exciting to hear what they'd done and what they'd achieved. And while it may not have perhaps stood the test of time in terms of getting those books now, it's still really cool to think about what was achieved. And it's just really inspiring to be around these other people who really care and are fighting constantly and have been fighting for years and years and years to make these changes. And every little change that happens just makes me so extremely excited. And from a personal point of view that's not in publishing, um, I'm really inspired by all the trans people who are so out and shouting and fighting against transphobic people, including that absolute, oh, try not to swear, <laughs> <You can> swear. <laughs> those people from Labour <laughs> who were trying to raise that money on a GoFundMe. Um, I actually, like, I saw Lily Madigan the other day in the same room. We were both having meetings. I tweeted her, like, I really wanted to come say hi because I think you're amazing. But I didn't want to just, like, rush over and be like, oh, my God. Um, I only came out as non-binary maybe in the last couple of years. um, And I sort of realised it in tandem with realising I'm autistic as well. And so seeing other people who are visibly saying I'm trans, I'm non-binary or even autistic those people inspire me as well and they inspire me to use my voice to give I'm trying to think of a way to say it but use my voice so that people who might relate to who I am and where I am as a person have someone to see yeah um you can't be what you can't see Mary Wilson said that didn't she and um I think the early 2000s, she was an activist who, specifically around uh, representation of people of colour in children's literature, and her words stick in my mind, like, you can't be what you can't see, and that's the roots behind Three of Cups and everything that I try to do. Um, And also just listening to all these amazing people do exciting things is a real honour to be able to stand by them as well. So I'm just a big fan girl. (laughs) I realise that you asked a question and I didn't share out some of the most important people, so I'm going to do it now. Uh, I'm inspired creatively by the other editors who aren't here today. Yes. Um, (laughs) Guys, I I couldn't get to the end without without saying that. Um, No, but on a very serious note, I'm also inspired by... um, the authors and artists we we worked with um yeah as this is the first time I was an editor I um was really lucky to have one piece um by a lovely incredible fearless woman called Deborah oh, um yes. I love her desperately and it, it taught me a lot of, like our friendship has taught me a lot about being a woman being yeah. black wanting to change things, wanting to do things differently. Um, but, you know, that was an individual shout out. But really, you know, the the, the whole infrastructure, yeah. I, I do see it as kind of like the foundations of a house. Yeah. I don't think we could have done this without each other. Um, we'd have no book if we had no authors and artists. Of course, yes. And we were inspired by every single one of them and every yeah. single submission we got. We wanted, you know, if we had an infinite pot of money, I think we would have yeah. tried to do, yeah. you know, volume two, three, yeah. four, five, you know, like Nollywood Easily. films or something. <laughs> <laughs> like on Anxiety, volume six. You know, yeah. like it, it, it inspired me because, yes, A, it made me feel less alone with my anxiety, but B, it, it taught me that People are trying, and I think definitely in these times, you know, even for a group of us to come together and think, okay, we have no money, we have no resources, but we need to do this, was inspiring. Mm. And I carried that through into my everyday projects and work. Um, So, yeah, I just, I realised that I was getting, well, we were getting to the end, and I hadn't (laughs) done that. It was just playing on my mind. I I need to say this. I'm glad I've got that out of the way. Claire, especially, for bringing us all together. 
Yes. Uh, I had that noted in my head to say at some point <laughs> as well. And then I got distracted thinking about all these people who I love from afar. But it's just too many people. Twitter is beautiful in the way that communities are just blossoming every yeah, day. It's and true. I'm, I, I was thinking about this last night on the way home, how much I've learned from others in the past year, like yeah. on a variety of issues, you know, because I think often we like to feel that our experiences influence the way that we think, which is, yes, A, important, but B, also cancels out a lot of the other experiences just yeah. by way of not knowing. Um, so, yeah, just that kind of education for me. I, I mean, I think we could probably sit here and list off 100 names <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at the time. Yeah. You know, that could be a separate podcast, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it, when you say what inspires me creatively, <laughs> it, it's almost infinite. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so I think we're almost at the end. Um, yes, so thank you guys um, for coming here and joining me. It's very, very much appreciated. And um, it has been a pleasure having you on. And I loved reading on anxiety, which was honestly, it's changed my perception of anthologies and I love it. Um, so do you guys want to quickly plug your social media dun, handles? Dun, dun. <laughs> Gonna leave that to um, So on Twitter you can find us at Three of Cups Press. Uh that's usually me chatting away to you. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really weird because I then reference my I'm personally on at Little Hucks. Um and then I might reference myself in a tweet and I'm like, oh, it's so confusing. Um, you can also find our website at www.threeofcups.co.uk. And from there you can buy On Anxiety. Um, if you, you might be caught up in the slow shipping at the moment just because we're trying to get all the Kickstarter out. But you can buy it there. You can also pre-order On Unbodies through our website um even before the kickstarter happens you can do okay. that right now and i think we even have some of our beautiful little badges left and you can buy them on there as well yes okay. i think that's yeah everything. so that concludes today's episode on the industry edit and thank you to wise buddha studios and charlie thank you <laughs> um so thank you for listening please do rate review and subscribe it lets me know how i'm doing and you can get in touch via email at the industry edit at hotmail.com and on twitter at industry edit i'm not very active on there but i will try and i will improve but yeah thank you for listening <laughs> <laughs>